That's so exciting. I hope you see the tie there when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We see in the book of Acts that it's through church planting that that happened. They went, they planted churches, disciples were raised up, elders were installed, um, and, and people grew in their faith. So this is the primary way that we are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, and it's thrilling to be a part of that. Well, we're in week three of looking at the life of Job. Why are we looking at the life of Job? Because he came up in the book of James as an example of how we can endure by faith when we go through the fire. Um, if you missed the first two se- uh, sermons on Job, you've got to go online or on our app and find them because you've already missed so much. And this story needs to be told. It will minister to your heart in a way that few other stories in the Bible can. Job lived uh, way back in the days of Abraham. You're looking at a couple thousand years before Christ. Uh, there was not health care. There was not Walgreens. There were not quick clinics. There was no prescriptions or anything. Um, and he went through quite an ordeal. He lost all 10 of his children on the same day. He lost his fortune on that same day. And then uh, just a few months later, he got sick head to toe with, hor- with a horrible illness. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. He was wasting away. It was a slow, agonizing death in his mind, and there was nothing he can do about it. He was also uh, described by God as being the most righteous man on the planet. And so he was doing everything right in God's sight. He was not perfect. He was a sinner, but he was humble. So there was nothing he could have done more so that God would be pleased with him enough to prevent suffering from coming into his life. All of this is jarring our understanding of who God is, what he allows in our lives, and and what we can do when the, the house collapses and we feel like we have nothing left. I want to read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis, because as he pondered uh, the question of why the righteous suffer, he had a lot of great things to say about that. Here's what he said. We must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time, when a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected. He often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly, when troubles come along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptation, he is disappointed. These things he feels might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary But that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he means to make of us. Why do we suffer? Why would God allow that? Especially when we've done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve it. The question today is, how can we walk by faith when the pain remains? When God says this trial will endure longer than you ever thought possible. When you've lost all of your strength possibly all of your resources, even in Job's case, all of the support he had through relationships. And there's no end in sight. How are you going to walk by faith during that trial? We have a lot of ground to cover today. We're actually, (laughs) under the text, I usually put like some verses that I'm going to preach, and today I just put the whole book, Job. There's like 35 chapters that I'm drawing from. All right, I hope you don't have any plans this afternoon. Get comfortable, because... Because there's so much in the book of Job, and I picked out just highlights of what was going on in his heart, things he was wrestling with, and you'll be surprised at how a guy 2,000 years before Christ was struggling with the same things you and I struggle with. Let's pray, and then we'll hear how to walk by faith when pain remains. 
Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us stories like Job. Stories of men who were crushed to the ground, who were forced to stay there, humiliated for months. Thank you, Father, that you don't just give us stories of people who are impressive, whose lives turn out well, whose families turn out well, with people with very few problems. Lord, you give us stories of men who go through hell. And I thank you, Lord, that you can encourage our faith through Job's story. Speak to us, Lord, for your glory. In your name, amen. Um, there are one, two, three main points. And the three main points are actually something Job says in this book. So these are literally his words exhorting us on how he got through it. Number one, you can write this down. Job said, he knows the way I take. Job said about God, he knows the way I take. How did Job survive another moment? God knows the way I take. When, when you're struggling for an extended period of time, you will be haunted by certain questions. Where is God? Where is he? Why does he feel so far away? Why does he take so long to respond to my prayers? The Bible is very honest about this question. The Bible says these questions. And Job knows what it feels like when God is far away. Um, all of the verses I quote today will be on the screen for you. So you can jot the numbers down if you want to go back and check them. But you don't have to race around your Bible trying to keep up. So the first verses I want to share are Job 23, or uh, Job 23, 1 to 3. We'll put them on the screen. It says this. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. My complaint is bitter. My heart is groaning, and I can't find God anywhere. The Bible is honest about this struggle. Job knows what it feels like when God is far away, and he doesn't know where to find him. Let me give you a good question to ask, and an even better question to ask when you feel this way. The good question is, is God there? Is he there? That's a good question to ask. You need an answer to that. You want affirmation. But here's a better question that I would submit that you should be asking. The better question is this. How does pain reveal God's presence? How can my pain that's not going away reveal to me that God is here? That's a better question. If you're honest, you know God's there. You're just not happy about what he's doing. You might be tempted to feel like he's doing nothing. He's doing nothing to change the hearts of my children. He's doing nothing to change what the doctors are telling me. He's doing nothing. That's a lie. He's doing something hard. He's doing something. It's something hard. And you have to ask him, Lord, how does this pain reveal your presence? Pain drives us into God's presence. Our fellowship with God actually grows sweeter in the storm. I talked to a man last week um, who had a, a big heart problem several months ago. 
had a heart attack, and I talked to him and checked in on him and said, how you doing, how you doing? And he said, I got to tell you, Pastor Ryan, God was glorified in all of it. He said, I feared nothing. God was with me every step of the way. Wow. Wow. This is life-threatening issues, unexpected hospitalization. And he said, God was glorified in it. He was there. Christians have to be okay with pain. We can be okay with pain when we know God knows the way you take. He's there with you, and he will manifest his presence during your pain in a way that he can't when you're healthy and everything's well. The world, our country, doesn't understand this. Our country has a big problem because so many people expect their doctors to remove all pain from their lives. That's the goal. I want all pain gone from my life. Pain is never welcome, never welcome at the door when it comes to the world's view on this. There was a shocking headline just this week in a a paper called the Tennessean. It's the uh, biggest uh, national paper in the state of Tennessee. And the headline read one number. The headline read this, 7,800,947. 7,800,947 in huge numbers on the front of the paper. That's the number of opioid prescriptions that people take in the state. And it's, the number is larger than the total population, including children, in the whole state. There are more prescription, strong prescription, painkillers prescribed in the state of Tennessee than there are people. Take my pain away. Take my pain away. And well over a thousand people die every year in that state alone. Over three a day die from overdoses. Take my pain away at all costs. Take my pain away. It's an epidemic. The chief medical officer of the state said, it's an epidemic. We don't know what to do about it. The world doesn't understand that pain glorifies God. It proves to you that he is present. It displays his goodness, his strength, his wisdom, and his power. Hey, listen, as you try and make sense of your pain emotionally, be careful not to start subtracting from God um, in your heart. In other words, don't say, well, because I'm suffering this much, God must be much less loving than I originally thought he was. Don't do that. Don't start subtracting from God to try and make the emotional math in your heart work. Well, because I'm suffering this much, or because my family has gone through this, or because I lost this person, God must be a monster, and I just need to deal with that. Don't start diminishing anything about God to try and cope with your pain. The truth is, you can add to your understanding of him when the suffering begins. Expect his love to grow bigger in your suffering. Expect his greatness to grow in your eyes. God will get bigger and bigger and bigger when you turn to him in your pain. Here's a a prayer I suggest you can pray when you want to admit that God knows the way you take. You can jot this down. Lord, strengthen and enhance my relationship to you. Lord, strengthen and enhance my relationship to you. Where are you, Lord? How far are you? Where do I find you? Hey, put all that together and ask that this pain would strengthen and enhance your relationship to God. That's the whole point in God's book. But you have to understand this. The Bible teaches that in order to meet God in your pain, you need a mediator. 
You need someone to stand between you and God and bring you together. Um, Job knows this, so we're going to put up Job 9, 32 to 33. Listen to what he says. He says, For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. See, he admitted that. I, I can't go to him. He's not like me. And he knew that somebody had to intervene to make it possible for him to connect with God. 2000 BC, he was longing for someone to stand between God and man and bring them together. We know who that is now, Jesus. Jesus is the mediator, the one mediator who stands between God and man and brings us together. We need someone to bring us to God. Listen, this is a huge realization. Pain does alert us to the reality of our distance between us and God. It is real. It would be awesome if I could go to him like in the Garden of Eden and be like, here's what the doctor said. Can you give me some feedback on that? We can't do that anymore. Sin separates us from God. The distance is real, but God has done something to close that gap. He sent his son into the world to bring us to God. Only if you have Jesus in your life can God actually be there for you in your pain. This is a big deal because if you're not a professing Christian, if you have not been born again, if you don't follow Christ, you can't say biblically that God is with you. In fact, the Bible describes in the book of Titus, it says, before Christ we were without hope and without God. So before Christ, you are living without God in your life. Many times as I help people and counsel them in their pain and they're not Christians, they'll say, well, God has always been there for me. False. False. He wants to be there for you. He wants to help you in your pain. He wants to sustain you through your trial. And he'll do that through his son. You need a mediator to bring your pain into God's presence. Isaiah 53, 3-4 tells us what this mediator would be like. Uh, Isaiah prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ says this, He was despised and rejected by men. Get this, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What a beautiful picture. God wants to carry your sorrows. God wants to bear up your griefs on him. I've got three kids. Sometimes they still sneak into our bed before I go to bed. And then I get up there and I find a child in my bed. And the last thing I want to do in my jammies is pick up this potato sack, you know, of a being and carry them back to their own bed, hitting their head on the door and trying not to wake them up, leaning down and pulling back muscles, right? I know what it feels like to carry my child. All right, those days are going to end soon. But listen, God is a good father. He wants to carry your griefs. He wants to pick up and hold and bear your burdens. The way he does that is by sending his son into the world to live the perfect life, die on the cross, rise again, and then he alone is qualified to be your savior, to be a mediator to bring you to God. If you're living a life where you think, me and God have always been good, you don't understand the first thing about God. Your sins have separated you from God. You don't belong in his presence. You are displaying no love for him and his love can't reach you. He's not carrying your burdens. He's not helping you in your pain. He's not with you in this life and you will never see him in the next life. You have to humble yourself and admit there is a 
canyon of separation between me and God because of my sin. And he sent his Savior into the world so that I can embrace him as Lord and then he can carry me to God. It's humiliating to admit it, but that's exactly what you need. And to, to, to think you don't need that is pride and unbelief. And your pain will continue without God in your life. He knows the way that I take. Listen, this is great news. If Christ lives in you, God lives in your pain. God uses pain to alert Christians to his presence. But God uses pain to alert non-Christians to his absence. If you're not a Christian, all of your pain should be screaming to you, God is not with me. God is not with me. God is not with me. And you should do everything you can to find him now. He can only be found in his son. He knows the way that I take. You need a mediator for God to be present in your pain. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, wants to bear your griefs, carry your pain. He knows the way that I take. Jesus literally knows the pain of this life because he walked it. He knows the way you take. Confess that. And God's pain will begin, or your pain will begin to reveal God's presence. The second thing you can write down is this. After he has tested me, Job said, he knows the way I take. Then he said, after he has tested me, and I'm intentionally leaving that dot, 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 after he has tested me. There's a whole lot in that statement. Job knew God was testing him. God will test you. He will test your faith. He will let things come into your life to test whether or not you're truly a follower of him. God will test you. God is testing you right now in many ways. After he has tested me, and God will test you, which churns up all of these thoughts and doubts and fears in our heart. Why me? Especially when I've done nothing to deserve it. Why is God testing me? And we're, we're grappling with the question of why would God allow a righteous person, a follower of Christ, I'm doing my best, to suffer? Instantaneously, though, the other side of that question is, you look around your life and you see wicked people, you see immoral people, you see bad people, and they've got no problems. Their marriage seems fine. Their kids seem fine. Their finances seem fine. I'm over here struggling, and they're over there prospering. So we start to get bothered with the, the understanding of God's justice. Why is he testing me? Why isn't he testing that bonehead over there? We don't understand. Job 5, 17 says this. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. When God tests you, he's showing that you're his child. When he disciplines you and grows you, he's showing that he's involved closely in your life. It's proof that he's there when he allows a test to come. He will test you. There's a good question you can ask when you're being tested. Here's the good question. Is God fair? You need an answer to that question. You should demand an answer to that question. Is God fair? Is he justly dealing with the righteous and the wicked in this life? Or do I just have to settle for some arbitrary being who does whatever he wants even if it's wrong? Is God fair? But let, me, let me give you a better question you can be asking 
during your trial. Here's the better question. How does my pain reveal God's justice? So, first, how can my pain reveal God's presence? And now, how can my pain reveal God's justice? That's a question. Ask that. Lord, how does this teach me about your justice? Don't start subtracting from God when your pain shows up. Well, God just must be much more arbitrary than I originally thought. He must be far less uh, uh, evenly balanced, you know, than I originally. I just have to settle for a much less just God who just lets the wicked get away with stuff and lets the righteous suffer and he doesn't do anything about it. Okay, I'm just going to settle for a less just God. You're subtracting from the Lord. Don't do that. Perhaps it is possible that you can be suffering and God can be just and fair at the same time. Perhaps it's possible that the wicked can be prospering and God can be doing something just and fair at the same time. He will test you and he will leave some of the wicked untested. You have to know, though, that he is the most just being in the entire universe. He's more fair than the most righteous judge on the planet. His justice, in the end, will be perfect and flawless. You'll be able to search the court records of heaven for eternity, if that's your thing. If you like those crime shows, you can go through the records of heaven forever, and God won't get one part of one person's judgment wrong. You spend a day in Cook County, and you'll drum up a whole lot of problems in their legal system. Corruption, bribery, they got the case wrong. won't take you long. You won't find a shred of injustice in God's court of law for all of eternity. But how does this world show me that? It's a great question. Job was wrestling with that too. Uh, 23, chapter 23, verses 11 to 12 say this. Job says, My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. See, he knew. I'm in it. All my kids are gone. My whole business is gone. My health is gone. I'm staying on course. He knew. He knew God was keeping track of how he was responding. You can jot this down. Every thought, word, and deed matters to God when you're in pain. He is monitoring your every thought. Your every thought is being monitored. It matters to him. It counts. Every word, everything that comes out of your mouth, yeah, I don't know why God allowed this. It's just I'm really upset. I don't think I trust him anymore. Every word's being written down. Every word. And every deed, every action, every reaction, everything you're doing in response to this matters to God. When you were in school, did you ever have some teachers who give, they give you work and then they'd collect the work and they'd be like, this isn't going to be graded. How'd that, make you, how'd that make you feel? I just wasted my whole night. Not even getting in the grade book. No great on this one, but thanks a lot, teach. If I had known that it wasn't counting, that there was no credit assigned to this work, I would have done a much poorer job. All right? Everything's getting in God's grade book. When you know that the most insignificant moment of your life matters to God eternally, you'll make it count. This moment right here and right now is getting in God's grade book. And your response to God's word matters to him. This day will be talked about among the angels in your judgment. I hope you're taking good notes. He is testing you. Every thought, word, and deed matters to God. Jot this down. Also know that 
If you choose to sin, you will choose to suffer. Um, Job and his friends who try and counsel him are very clear and honest about this. The wicked will suffer. Those who choose to sin will suffer. And they are right. As a general rule, choose to sin, choose to suffer. That's the rule. Much of our pain comes from our sin or the sin of others. Financial pain, relational pain, even, even much of our physical pain can be tied directly to our poor choices, if you think about it. We learn from this that we reap what we sow, that the universe, the moral universe, operates according to laws. And if we do A and B and C, that will lead to D and E and F, almost all the time. Most of the time, if you choose to veer from God's commands and disobey Him, you will suffer. If you had chosen to stay on the path of God's commands, your life would have been filled with more pleasure and less pain. That works almost always. The obedience to the Lord brings blessing. Veering from God's commands brings pain. You need to know that it is a moral world. There are moral laws. Generally speaking, you will reap what you sow. Whatever you plant in your life that is consistent with God and His will will bear an abundant crop of righteousness and pleasure. Whatever you plant in your life that is consistent with uh, lack of faith, uh, disobedience, sin, depravity, lust, greed, anger, that will bear a crop that will generally lead to pain. But there are exceptions. And the book of Job is one big exception to the rule. It's not the rule. That's what's so shocking about it. We all know, this shouldn't have happened to him. You're right. There are exceptions. But God's justice is revealed when you look into the lives of yourself and others and you see how that sin led to pain just like God said it would. He's keeping his word. He's keeping his word. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. God will test you and you will reap what you sow and you'll understand that God is fair and just. His warnings will apply to you. Write this down, but there is an exception. Sometimes the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. That doesn't discredit God's justice. It gives us a chance to see God's justice operating at a much higher level. Um, Job's friends presented a very binary understanding of God. Bad people suffer, good people prosper. You're suffering, you're bad. Get good, your suffering will go away. Generally, that's true. Stop sinning. Right? Stop sinning and your life will get better. Generally, that's true. Stop overspending and your finances will get better. True. Stop talking to people who are not your spouse and your marriage will get better. True. True. But there are the exceptions. The exceptions to the rule are sometimes the righteous suffer terribly. Sometimes the wicked prosper greatly. We have to understand that that is a chance for God to reveal his justice in a special way. Maybe you've heard of Nabil Qureshi. He's a speaker with the Ravi Zacharias team. Uh, Nabil was a Muslim. He, uh, through his devotion to Allah, he began seeking Allah more and more. And through a friend in college, Nabil came to know Christ in a powerful manner. He wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And it's an amazing book. Uh, I've met Nabil. I've talked to him at some RZIM conferences. And he has followed the Lord for about 11 years now. Well, he got some terrible news. He's in his early 30s. He's got a little daughter, wife. He got some terrible news just a few weeks ago. And I want you to see a righteous man who is suffering and uh, check out his video update that he posted just a few weeks ago. 
this is Nabil. Um, thank you so much for uh, your love and your support. Over the past week, I announced eight days ago that um, I have received this diagnosis. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, this is kind of a scary disease insofar as uh, nobody saw it coming, not even my doctors. The GI doctor took a look and he said, you know, I see a lot of people in their young 30s, a lot of men who come in with irritation at their esophagus, and that's probably what this is. Um, so we'll scope you just to be sure, um, but uh, I'm very confident that this isn't too big a problem. We'll be able to fix you and take care of you. When they scoped me um, was two weeks ago, and that's when they saw something very concerning. Uh, cut to four days later, um, and uh, the diagnosis was uh, stage four stomach cancer. And so uh, the prognosis of survival uh, to five years is 4% chance. So I knew I needed a miracle. <laughs> I know still that I need a miracle. Um, and the days since then, and for those of you who are doing the math, that was exactly on the 11th anniversary of my accepting Christ. Here's a guy who's reaching tens of thousands of people a year with the gospel. He's making inroads into the Muslim community. He's sharing his story. If you ask me, if there's a list of like the top 100 people who God should just leave alone for a while, he'd be on toward the top of the list. And he's the guy who comes on his 11th anniversary of becoming a Christian, finds out he has a 4% chance of living five years. The righteous will suffer. The righteous will suffer. When you're at your best and you've had a banner year of faith and the Lord has taken you to special places and you feel like everything is falling together, that could be the year. When you suffer and you don't know why and you've done nothing wrong. Job knows this. He knows that this happens, but he knows that it's the exception. It's the exception and God's doing something special. In Job 21, verses 7 to 11, he shares what a lot of us are thinking. He says this, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cow calves, and do not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock. Oh, their children dance the guy who buried 10 kids. Their children dance. Oh, he's wrestling with it. Why do they not suffer? Chapter 31, verses 5 to 6 says this. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. He knows he's walking the righteous path. He knows he's not suffering because he did anything wrong. He knows the wicked are prospering even though they've lived filthy lives in God's sight. And all of that adds up to him continuing on in devotion to the Lord. Is God fair? Ask the question, how can, God, how can your pain reveal God's justice? You can jot this down. Here's a good prayer for you to pray in your pain. Lord, strengthen and enhance my understanding of your justice. Strengthen and enhance my understanding of your justice. Don't decrease God's justice in your heart. Increase it. Ask him. 
And we know because of the cross that God can work even the worst act of evil in human history and the greatest suffering ever experienced for good. He can do that for you. He can work your unjust suffering for good. That's how just and fair he is. The first, question, the first thing Job said is, he knows the way that I take. God will meet you in your pain. The second thing he says is, after he has tested me, he will test you, but he will do it justly. Number three, write this down, I shall come forth as gold. He knows the way that I take. After he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. The questions that will haunt you include, why should I go on? Why? It's not worth it. This is worth nothing. Will it ever end? Am I wasting my time? Can I even trust God? You will be tempted to give up if you don't realize that you will come forth as gold. You'll be tempted to lose hope, to despair. Listen, it got bad in Job's heart. He really wanted to die. Check out chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. Here's what it says. Let the day perish on which I was born, the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Take away my birthday. That's how he was feeling. In chapter 6, verses 8 to 9, it says this. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. He wanted to die. Chapter 17, verse 1, he said this. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. This guy's suicidal. This guy is suicidal. The graveyard is ready for me. Couldn't be any worse. God might let it get that bad in your heart. So bad that you are tempted to end it all. Suicide is a big problem in the United States. Do you know in the past 15 years, our government released a report, the past 15 years, suicide rates have gone up 24%. Richest nation in the history of humanity. Best access to health care. Suicide rates going up. Because we have pain and we can't get rid of it. Christians need to learn how to manage pain in a godly manner before it consumes us. A good question you can ask when you're suffering is this, is God good? Is he good? Is this going to work out for good? Let me give you a better question you can answer, ask though. How does pain reveal God's goodness? How does my pain reveal God's presence? How does my pain reveal God's justice? How does God, my pain reveal God's goodness? We believe it will. We believe it can. The prayer you can ask is this, Lord, strengthen and enhance my understanding of your goodness through this suffering. Don't start subtracting from God's goodness. Well, he's not as good as I thought he was. He's not doing as many good things as I thought. He must be less good than I originally assumed. So I'm going to worship a God who's less good than I had ever hoped for. Don't do that. Where does Job find relief? When he doubts that this is worth it, he finds it in interesting places. You can jot this down. He finds relief knowing and remembering that God gave him life. Write that down. Remember, God gave you life. God created you because he loves you. 
Job found tremendous comfort in that. Listen, you were once a single-celled organism the size of a poppy seed on a hot dog bun. God made you everything that you became from that point on. He designed that cell to produce a you. It's a miracle. God did that. God gave you life. Remember God gave you life. Check out Job 10, 11 to 12, where he says this. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Wow. You want to find relief from despair? Know that God gave you your life. He made you because he loves you. You can jot this down. Job found relief in knowing that God sustains his life. Realize God sustains your life even today. This very moment, God is sustaining your life. You couldn't live another nanosecond if God hadn't made provision for you to survive. Job looks to creation and sees God's mighty hand sustaining the whole world. And in his pain, this brings him relief. And in your pain, this will bring you relief. Uh, chapter 26, verses 7 to 8, Job says this. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. I love that. Hangs the earth on nothing. We have a greater understanding of that than ever before, given our scientific knowledge. The earth hangs on nothing. No harness, no cables attached. We are right now suspended on a rock in space. And science cannot still adequately explain the force of gravity that is keeping us a safe but inhabitable distance from our sun. They don't know what it is. Your world right now hangs on nothing. You really don't have security apart from God. You don't. Do you know how big the sun is? The sun could fit a, a million earths. If the sun were the size of a basketball, the earth would be the size of a BB. And you go around that inferno once a year and live! Wow! I'm still here. Be amazed. Then he says in that same verse, he binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. I was thinking about that one. When it rains, a big rain, and you know, I look out on my street and I see the water because our sewer is the low point, the river running in front of our house. I think, that's a lot of water. Like, if I wanted to cover just my street in water, I'd have to keep going to the laundry tub and bring in bucket after bucket, after bucket for me to cover my whole street in water. And it's in the clouds. It's heavy. How does all of that water get and stay up in the clouds? So I started researching that this week because Job's taking comfort in that. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud doesn't... How is that? Did you know, this is a marvel, did you know that the average cumulus cloud could hold... 100 elephants of water. Try getting one elephant up in the sky. <laughs> and I'm not going to satisfy your curiosity by telling you how he does it, but 100 elephants weight worth of water in the average cumulus cloud. Pretty impressive. He's doing that right now. He is on it. He's sustaining your universe. 
He's holding your world up. That will bring you relief to know that he sustains your life today. Job 7, 17 to 18 says this, not only in creation, but you personally. Job says, what is man that you make so much of him, that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning, and test him every moment? Visit him every morning. I love that. He's right there. Like a neighbor on your door today. Job, he knows God is present in his life. Recognize that God sustains your life today. And then write this down. Recognize that God will soon take your life back. You will come forth as gold through all the trials in this world, but one of the trials in your life, I guarantee you, will end in death. Even then, God will bring you to his glorious presence. Job 13, 15 says this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This could be the one that takes me home. My hope, my hope is in him. I shall come forth as gold. Even death is a deliverance for the believer. Job 19, 23 to 27. What faith and foresight. He says this, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. He got his prayer. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed and in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. What hope he had that the end of the story is already written and it's good, even if this world should end today. Hey, listen, testing is part of God's plan for your life. All the trials in this life will teach you faith and grow your faith. And if you walk with Christ, you will come forth as gold. I want to read a quote by Charles Spurgeon that has been really meaningful to me. He says this, On our Christian pilgrimage, it is well for the most part to be looking forward. Forward lies the crown, onward is the goal. Whether it be for hope, for joy, for consolation, for the inspiring of our love, the future must, after all, be the grand object of the eye of faith. Looking into the future, we see sin cast out, the body of sin and death destroyed, the soul made perfect and fit to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Looking further yet, the believer's enlightened eyes can see death's river past, the gloomy stream forded, and the hills of light obtained on which standeth the celestial city. He seeth himself enter within the pearly gates, hailed as more than a conqueror, crowned by the hand of Christ, embraced in the arms of Jesus, glorified with him, and made to sit together with him on his throne. Even as he is overcome and has sit down with the Father on his throne. The thought of this future may well relieve the darkness of the past and the gloom of the present. The joys of heaven will surely compensate for all the sorrows of earth. Hush, Hush my doubts, death is but a narrow stream, and thou shalt soon have forded it. Time how short, eternity how long, death how brief, immortality how endless. I love his hope. I love how he pictures himself already as crossing the river of death and being with Christ forever. Hey, I don't know where you're at in your pain, but Job is giving us a living, breathing example of what it means to bring your pain to God. He's processing and coping with all of these doubts. The Bible calls this lament. Lamenting is when you go, into your, you go into the presence of the Lord with your pain, you share your doubts, and you find new confidence and hope in what God has revealed about himself. We bring our pain to God, and he helps us process it. I want to give you a chance, as the worship team comes up right now, to bring your pain to God.
In this church, we are honest that we struggle. In this church, we are honest that we have pain. But what do we do with it? We bring it to God and we let him deal with it. The worship team is going to sing a song now and you're going to remain seated. You're going to have a chance to meditate on what you've heard today in his word. But listen, if you're carrying a heavy weight and you want to give God a chance to carry that for you, um, we're going to give you a chance during this last song to come forward. There's space up front, all along the front, and when the worship team is playing this song, this is an opportunity for you to pray, for you to get up, bring your pain before God, and to let Him go to work. We're going to start this song right now, and then I'm going to give you a chance to bring your pain into His presence. But why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray together. Pray to the Lord. Bring your pain to God right now.